Hi, and welcome to A Voice for the Kids, Child USA's podcast. Uh, and this week, we are absolutely delighted to have with us uh, the two forces that came together to make uh, Netflix's uh, The Trial of Gabriel Fernandez. It is a docu-series that was at the top. Uh, it's a docu-series that is a tragic story, but it's one everyone should watch. Uh, Gabriel really didn't have a chance, and every safety net in our society let him down. Uh, but we are so honored today to have with us Brian Knappenberger, who is a writer, director, a filmmaker. Uh, he's a uh, been award-winning, of course, um, and uh, he has also uh, been the creator of the film Nobody Speak, Trials of the Free Press, and The Internet's Own Boy, which premiered at the 2017 and the 2014 Sundance Film Festivals. Uh, for The Internet own, Internet's Own Boy, he won the Writers Guild, uh, award for Outstanding Documentary Screenplay and was shortlisted for an Academy Award. Uh, and you can read his full bio on uh, our website, childusa.org, on the podcast page. Uh, really, really uh, an impressive contributor to child protection through this amazing um, documentary. We also have with us today, Jonathan Hatami. He is uh, the prosecutor who was the lead prosecutor in Los Angeles who uh, prosecuted those responsible for the death of Gabriel Fernandez. He was, he's originally from New York uh, and uh, he is, but grew up in California. He enlisted in the United States Army after high school, uh, but uh, he has now become one of the leading litigators in the um, Sheriff's Department domestic violence de uh, segment, section. Uh, and uh, for the past nine years, he has been uh, leading the fight for protection against domestic violence uh, through his prosecuting. Uh, really an amazing, uh, both of these guys are amazing. Uh, and you can read both of their bios at childusa.org on our podcast page. Thanks for joining today. So, uh, so let me just start out by saying, uh, Jonathan, how did this case come into your universe? I take it um, that you were a prosecutor at the time, as you are now, and uh, somehow got involved in this case. So I was a younger prosecutor in the Antelope Valley, but I was the most experienced in child abuse and sexual abuse type cases. So we had a lot of young DAs in the Antelope Valley branch office, um, but uh, I was one of the younger ones, but who had the most experience. Uh, I had mostly done a lot of sexual abuse cases. Mm -hmm. um, I just started moving into more um, physical abuse type cases. And I was in the middle of a trial. We're about ready to finish up a trial um, when the Gabriel case started. And so it was about three weeks into the case, uh, I finished my trial. And I think the office and everybody knew the case was going to be a really, really big um, and complicated case. 
And so uh, they assigned me the case about three weeks, about three weeks in. Uh, and that's sort of how I got it. Um, just being in the Antelope Valley branch, uh, doing so many felony trials, um, doing a lot of cases with children. Um, uh, and they assigned me the case. So, um, so I don't want to give away the whole series because I think the whole world should watch it to, to understand. But, you know, the bottom line was that every single adult in this child's life failed him, um, tragically. You're right. And, um, how hard was it to get the, the pieces of the case to come together? Because, Worth, what was it, multiple government agencies and, of course, the parents and, and the larger family. That must have really been a challenge. It was very challenging. Um, I was basically inexperienced when it came to these large DCFS or CPS records type cases. Um, also, all of these different agencies having all these different records, and we needed them to cooperate uh, with the prosecution of the case. And so it was a huge challenge. Um, I think one of the things that helped me is that we did a grand jury. Um, and in California, we mostly do preliminary hearings for felonies. We don't do grand juries, whereas the East Coast, um, you have a lot more where you use grand juries. Yeah. But we do use them sometimes in California um, on really big cases because it allows us the opportunity to bring in a lot of witnesses and get a lot of information. Um, we also, in California, you have to bring in exculpatory information in a grand jury. East Coast usually doesn't have to do that then, but we do. And so I did a grand jury, a pretty extensive grand jury um, on the Gabriel case, and it did help get all of this information. But it was, it was an incredible challenge because you had a lot of agencies who actually were trying to hide things from me. And that's what becomes challenging, is you, you're the prosecutor, and you think people are going to want to help, especially when it comes to a child who was abused and murdered. Um, and it is surprising and shocking um, how many people um, cover up things, um, uh, especially the government's main role is to protect people and to protect children. That's their really, I, I believe it's their number one role. Um, and if they can't do that, we have a problem. And so, yeah, it was, it was a big challenge. So was it, um, was it the fact that they were ashamed of what they had done or they were protective of the system? I mean, I've been involved in cases involving the Catholic church and Penn state, uh, and well, and almost every type of organization, uh, and, you know, the world's kind of broken down into the people, uh, for example, at Penn State, where I actually went to grad school, um, and I had people coming after me saying, how dare you insult Penn State of all entities? Um, mm -hmm. I was threatened by the board, and uh, then I had other people saying, thank you so much for standing up for the victims at Penn State, right? So what, what was the, the thinking in the, in the government officials in your, from where you're sitting? I would say with, within the big uh, bureaucracies, it's money. Um, they will do anything and everything to protect themselves because they're afraid of civil liability, which yeah. is so, so sad. Um, I mean, I, 
the good thing about being a prosecutor is we don't consider money. There's, it just doesn't really come into my wheelhouse. And so I don't, I, I'm just trying to get the evidence and trying to get to the truth. The aspect of money is really not an issue for me and who's liable or not liable civilly. But I will tell you governmental agencies, especially within LA County, um, they will do anything and everything uh, to protect themselves because of civil liability. So, but there also is, I think what you said, I think um, more within the police department, yeah. uh, not only civil liability, but the police officers, uh, they will try to protect themselves also individually and they will get mad at you and they will do things to you or try to do things to you to intimidate you um, because individually they don't want to be embarrassed or, yeah. or, or, you know, looked at in a bad light. So I would say it, it's a combination of both. Um, but overall it's money, uh, that, uh, they don't want to get sued and, 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 and lose money. But within the police department, definitely you have individuals who do not want to be, uh, embarrassed in any way. And, um, they can do a lot of things to you or try to do a lot of things to you to, to, uh, prevent that from happening and to protect themselves. So, so Brian, um, that's a really good, actually intro to me, but yeah. <laughs> so, so first of all, I just want to salute you for making uh, a series about this beautiful little boy who doesn't survive because of the system. Um, I mean, you know, I talk to survivors all the time and many of them will tell me, I've written my story and I've tried to get a documentary or I've tried to publish a book or, and everybody's telling me nobody wants to hear these stories anymore. Yeah. Well, this, this is extreme. This is, this is quite remarkable of a story, but how did you decide to take it? How did you get people to agree to finance such a story um, that all of us should know about? i just, it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, well, I, I first came in contact with it when uh, the story broke in the LA Times. Um, you know, it was broken by LA Times reporter um, Garrett Throff, who was also um, a part of the telling of the story later with us. Um, but that's when I first heard about it. It was a huge story. Obviously, it was a huge story. I think people in, who aren't in LA don't realize how how much this kind of rattled uh, rattled things and how how what the response was when this story first broke. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, I, I was, I was interested in, it. Um, you know, Congresswoman Karen Bass says in our film that, that it rattled and shook LA County to its core. Um, so I, I started paying attention to it. I didn't really think about making a film about it or a series about it um, until later. But when, um, you know, uh, uh, Garrett Throff could talk to me with another producer, the person that we had in common and, um, I, at first, I wasn't sure. I mean, I had the same questions. Are people going to yeah. be engaged in this story? Can, can, we, can we really find out what's happening? And I just got, I got uh, drawn into Gabriel's story. Um, just, and it's not just the extraordinary, um, just the awful things that happened to Gabriel, um, the unbelievable number of failures that seem to happen in, in this young boy's life. And, but, it, you know, it's also when the social workers were criminally charged uh, that that became something much much bigger, and 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 that's what we tried to figure out. And you mentioned the secrecy. I mean, the institutions were uh, reacted the way institutions, government institutions, often do, 
and that is they just recoil into this kind of secrecy and this this um, this instinct towards uh, protection uh, that that really is uh, that really becomes toxic. Completely toxic. I mean, I you know the if I had to summarize my theory of all these cases, it's that pre- uh, adults prefer and protect adults, mm-hmm. um, and kids are just you know kids are kids. Yeah, so, and it seemed like I mean, it really seemed like. We need to give, uh, this is something that uh, Mr. Tommy said in, in, uh, many times in the courtroom, give Gabriel a voice. And I, I, I felt that early on, even before we got into the courtroom, I felt like he, he deserves a voice. This is what, you know, this is what we should be doing as filmmakers. We should yeah. be telling the voice of, of the eight-year-old boy, Gabriel Fernandez, who nobody listened to when he was alive. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was powerful. And so we, we actually started filming a little bit. We shot some interviews. And then I went to Netflix and I just said, look, you got to do it. You know, sometimes you pitch yeah. stories to networks and stuff. And you say, oh, this would be interesting. I think it would be great. This one was like, you got it. You have to do this story. I mean, you have to. Uh, all this stuff is coming out in the courtroom. Um, you know, there's has all of these. It just reverberates in all sorts of ways throughout L.A. County mm-hmm. in all sorts of important ways, both in government officials, third party contractors things like that. And, and uh, it just, it, it somehow the story of this one boy um, really points at all of these other systemic problems. So we, we just have to do it. And they listened. Yeah. And thankfully they listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Child USA works year round gathering data and conducting social science, legal and medical research to identify laws and policies affecting child protection. This information is crucial to survivors and their loved ones, attorneys, lawmakers, journalists, and other experts working on these issues. As you listen to this podcast episode, please consider supporting Child USA by purchasing a ticket to our fourth annual awards ceremony, honoring heroes who have made strides in the arena of child protection this year. The event is on October 22nd, and it will be 100% virtual. Each $50 ticket purchase allows Child USA to continue its mission of ending child abuse and neglect and supporting survivors. Visit childusa.org backslash annual event 2020 to get your tickets now. That's childusa.org backslash annual event 2020. Thank you. I mean, yay. Um, right. But uh, it is. Uh, I mean, there there have been, of course, a, a series of series on um, either sex abuse or athletes in abuse, um, and, and there's been a lot more um, attention to, to these issues, but there hasn't been as much attention to the physical abuse and to the neglect um, of those like uh, Gabriel. So... How did you, and I'd like to hear from both of you on this, how did you decide what to include in the, in the series? Um, and uh, was it the two of you brainstorming over what to include or what, what was the process? Well, we, we were, uh, to be clear, Mr. Tommy is a, a source and a character in the, and, and yeah. uh, was, was actually really an example of, um, you know, somebody who opened up and, and really gave us access and, and uh, uh, t- to be truthful, I don't think we could have done it or tell it, told it as compelling uh, as, as it turned out um, if it wasn't for him uh, opening up to us and really kind of being, being truthful. Um, um, but we, we, of course, we, did, we, we make the final 
uh, choice that that's right. sort of just how documentarians are. We don't give uh, uh, a final cut to anybody <laughs> but ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> which is the right thing to do, yes. <laughs> all sorts of reasons. Um, but uh, the issue of what to include and what not to include um, was really tricky. Uh, I mean, we, we yeah, particularly in the level of abuse that we wanted to show, yeah. um, you know, in discovery and all the stuff we saw, we found that came out of the courtroom, as you can imagine, there's a lot of really awful imagery. Mm -hmm. So the question does become when, where do you draw the line? Um, you don't want to be too gratuitous there. Um, you don't want it to be, feel sensational. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to look away either. You don't want to blink and, and, and somehow talk about it being bad without actually being real about it. So, um, you know, it's a big, big part of the discussions and, and crafting and editing the series uh, came down to where, where to draw that line. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're all fond of euphemisms to try to deal with these issues because they're so difficult. Uh, and I, so I, I give you a lot of credit for telling the true story with some of the, the worst edges being shown. I have to say that um, part of the, the uh, scene that bothered me the most was the absolute incapacity of the teachers. I mean, he was going to school and if you're a teacher, you know that kid is in trouble. Uh, and it did seem like uh, the teachers dropped the ball as well as social services. So, I mean, Jonathan, how did you all decide who to charge and um, who to pay the most attention to in terms of fault? I think that is a, it's a good question and it's a, and it's a, it's a really tough question to ask, especially in this type of case. Um, I would say one, you have the main individuals, the two people who actually did the actual physicality, which right. were the two defendants, obviously. Um, I think that and then you have to look at who has a duty and it really comes down to who has a legal duty. Um, and that, that, that's a tough question, especially dealing with certain types of individuals and when the law is not that clear. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not that clear here in California. And so um, I think our office and me personally do think that the social workers had a legal duty to protect Gabriel because that, that is their job. Their sole job is they're assigned to Gabriel. That, that it's, he, the social worker is assigned to that child and the social worker uh, works for the government and their main job is to protect the child. And so obviously they have a duty to that child. I think then you start having to look down the line and see each individual and what their duty is. I think when it came to the school, I would say this, you had a lot of people that seemed to be getting in the way of uh, um, the teacher, Jennifer Garcia, trying to tell everybody what was happening to Gabriel. The principal hid things that were happening to Gabriel and told Jennifer not to do certain things, not to tell anybody, especially Gabriel came with, you know, haircut, hair missing, you know, a black eye, bruised lip. And, and the principal seemed to not want to do what he needed to do to, to protect Gabriel. And then you had, you know, the school nurse and then you had school administrators and, and then you had Jennifer who every time she would report something, it, it would get worse for Gabriel. 
really yeah. difficult situation. So, um, but I think you had people within the school. I think you had people within the sheriff's department. I think you had people within the gain office. Um, all these individuals, I, I do believe, have some culpability. Uh, but legally, it's hard because of the laws. Um, the, and it's tough because citizens or people get mad. You know, they're like, we see this and it's horrible. Why aren't you doing anything? And I think that it's a tough challenge because of the laws and, and who's legally has a duty uh, to protect children. Um, and it's important that we create laws or we contact our legislators and create laws that actually protect children and, and, and impose duties on people that should uh, have those duties. And so it came down to who, who could we charge based upon the current law? And um, sometimes that's difficult. And, and it tells you that we need to fix the laws and change them so they protect children uh, more than they do already. Yeah. Well, that, that's certainly something Child USA spends a lot of effort on. Um, it, it's always kind of amazing that you can set up the system. So, so the system that was supposed to be helping Gabriel involved mandated reporting from the teacher and the principal. It involved, um, you know, public service agencies that were supposed to be protecting him. It, of course, the parents had a legal duty to their own child. The family had duties. And um, it's just always amazing how it can all collapse. And so then we have to all go back and figure out, well, what was the, what was the, the hole in the system this time? Um, so, but, but speaking of the law, Brian, um, I, I've, I've worked, uh, you know, I've done uh, several documentaries and I've done, uh, I've actually done several interviews for shows, which um, my interview did not make it um, onto the, um, onto the uh, screen because the entity I was talking about said, uh, I'm going to sue you to death if you people publish this. Um, and, you know, speaking the truth is, is risky. So did you have to have a lot of back and forth with the lawyers at Netflix or, or in your own office um, in helping to decide what to show and what not to show? Because I think the public doesn't understand how much the lawyers often drive. Um, what is the final result? Uh, yes, we did talk to lawyers quite a bit, um, but that's not necessarily new for us. I mean, in our uh, you know, when you when you when you try to speak truth to power, <laughs> or or try to be critical in any way to to people who are uh, powerful entities, um, we we live in a society where you're going to open yourself up to those kinds of lawsuits. Yeah. Um, I, I, we're familiar with that. We've been threatened with that so many times. I can't count uh, the. But you know, we with the, you know, there's beautiful thing about the United States of America is the First Amendment and the uh, and the. Uh, the fact that the truth itself is a kind of golden protection to that. Yeah. That doesn't always mean that you can't be uh, attacked in all sorts of ways, including with like frivolous lawsuits that are meant more to sort of drain your resources than to actually win, uh, which has been a problem for some news organizations. Um, it's a danger. Uh, but the truth, but you know, we, we believe in that. We believe that, that uh, I mean, we're very, very careful about the kinds of things that we say and show, um, uh, you know, I think that's something that really, really gets lost in, in an environment, especially in the last few years, in which everything is fake news and the media is right. uh, scurrilous media and we're the enemy of the people. I mean, it's, 
it's like it's uh, you know I, I, I just kind of sometimes wish we should just do a documentary on the amount of effort it takes to get the truth right to get this stuff right and i mean there isn't a thing a, a statement made in the trials of gabriel fernandez or anything that we've done that hasn't been checked multiple times um you know three or four times multiple sources uh or is presented as something that's speculation or whatever we, we think about everything that's in there there's nothing yeah. frivolous so um so we just we just uh, arm ourselves with that and go forward there was a couple of things happened in this. Um, uh, Saro Aguirre's counsel tried to stop the publication of the documentary before we um, we were able to, when we were still in the middle of it, I, pretty early on. So we actually had to go to court to to defend that. Uh, uh, it was an attempt at prior restraint. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a little frightening at first, but then, um, I mean, pretty soon we realized they had zero case that we were going to win it. We had we got a lawyer who was the the... the who had argued the the most recent case of prior restraint in front of the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court. Um, so they were a little outgunned, but the in the end, but um, that happens. But you know, it's it's absolutely true. But the th but but it goes back to what John was saying in the beginning: this kind of secrecy, a kind of instinct to protect um, that that is that is toxic. And these things aren't uh, nothing really changes until any kind of bad actors malfeasance problems, abuse, until this stuff gets dragged out in the cold light of day. It just doesn't change any other way. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I know that's my perspective, but. No, I, I agree. Know, and, and until people know about it and are angry about it, um, these things get swept under the rug. This year, Child USA launched its first ever membership portal. The portal is a collection of books, videos, articles, and online resources, all intended to help survivors heal, learn, and build resiliency in their lives. It is the only library made for survivors and curated by CSA experts. Googling blindly for information on child sex abuse can be overwhelming and at the end of the day, unhelpful. So Child USA has done the research to locate the resources that will be the most helpful to you. Whether you are a survivor, a family member, or someone who works with children like a coach or a teacher, this is a place where you can browse, learn, and relax in peace. For just $25 a year, you can become a member now. Along with our curated resource lists, Portal members have access to exclusive content, including expert Q&As, featured art by survivors, and a video version of the podcast you're listening to right now. We hope you join us. Visit childusa.org slash members to sign up now. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, Brian and his team did a, a, a really, really good job, not only in the documentary, but I mean, you see the truth. I mean, the truth is the truth. And sometimes people don't like the truth. And, and sometimes um, uh, the truth can be embarrassing. Um, but it's important because the only way to make change is, is to put these things out there and for people to have to confront them, for people to have to see all the abuse that Gabriel went through, even though it's uncomfortable, and, and, and then say, what are we going to do to fix this? And what are we going to do uh, to change this? Uh, but Brian's right. I, there was a person uh, within the sheriff's department who threatened that he was going to do a press conference um, and somehow expose um, something that came out in the documentary. But you know, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the truth is just the truth. 
And, and, you know, if you're, if you're armed with that, um, I think anything that anybody brings out, um, I mean, evidence is evidence and facts are facts. And, um, I think that I, I, I think overall, um, Brian and his team did a really, really good job to, to bring this out, um, um, to try to help so many other children uh, who are abused and to get people to talk about it, to get to people to talk about so many children uh, who, who are being abused, who are in the system. Um, and, and, you know, what are we going to do to fix this uh, as a community? Uh, yeah. What are we going to do to fix it? Well, you know, I wondered about, um, I mean, was there any pressure from political sources to, to not tell the story? Uh, I, I could imagine that there were those, and now you don't have to answer that because I know you're still a prosecutor, um, but uh, maybe I'll ask Brian that. Uh, you know, was there evidence of political pressure to either slow down the, re the investigation or to suppress your retelling of it? Yeah, I mean, I should say that we, um, you know, that we wanted to talk to DCFS quite a bit in the, in the course of this. And we wanted to, and we thought that there was, um, I mean, for I think what is probably obvious, if you see the series, all sorts of questions we had for them. Uh, and what we were going to do is give them a real opportunity to talk about these things. Um, and I thought, I think they, I think they missed an incredible opportunity to talk about this stuff. Bobby Cagle, the current director, uh, was not the director at the time of Gabriel's death. Uh, and he'd only been, I think he'd been director of DCFS for about a year when we were started this, uh, or maybe even not that long. So, um, he had a perfect opportunity to look and say, look back and say, well, look, this is, this is what happened then. There was a blue ribbon commission that recommended all of these different changes that we could have put into, that we put into the system. This is what we're doing to address that. And uh, I think it could have been a great opportunity, but um, instead they recoiled and, and uh, really strung us along for a year or so. Um, uh, we kept asking them, we kept sort of trying to be patient with them. We kept trying to, to rephrase our approach to them. And, and we really got the runaround. I, I would think, I mean, it wasn't just a decline. It was, it was, um, it was uh, uh, just spinning their wheels to trying to, to put us through uh, hoops and to, uh, to actively kind of thwart us. I mean, they, at first they wanted to know, uh, full, see a full transcript of the documentary. The Board of Supervisors said the same thing. Uh, it's completely outrageous uh, for them to ask for that. Um, they wanted to, to know what chapters and thesis were for each chapter of the documentary. Uh, that's not that's not something that's appropriate for them to ask. So, and obviously we're not going to give that to them. But what we would have given them is an honest chance to, if, if they said yes to a documentary, you would know their position. You may not agree with it, but you would know how, how they felt about this uh, more. And I think that, I think, you know, I, I think they missed an opportunity to do that. And I think that the, I think LA County suffers because of that. Yeah. I think the public suffers from not knowing this. I, I don't think it would have hurt them at all. In fact, I think it would have helped them. Well, and, and you really, I, I love your point about the whole talk about fake news. And um, there does seem to be a lack of understanding in the public about what documentary makers and even, uh, you know, Los Angeles Times reporters and everybody else in the journalism industry has to go through to verify and then to stick with a story. 
I mean, you could have easily walked away from this story. It sounds to me like at about four or five different junctures, because it was turning out to be, um, there was a lot of opposition to it out there. Um, so, uh, I mean, what, what do you want the public to understand about the way facts are vetted and, um, and why you even stuck with it? Uh, well, we're, we're, you know, we're obviously in a very strange time when we have, we have a president who routinely uh, <laughs> attacks the news media because it yeah. says things that are inconvenient to him, uh, regardless of whether they're true or not. So, um, you know, this is, this has just become a, th I think, I think it's, it's being aggravated by the fact that, um, a lot, uh, news industry journalism has lost a lot of its financial underpinnings, mostly because of the internet and social media and all that. There's, yeah. there's just, a, there, it's, it was, uh, problematic kind of before, uh, Trump. Um, and I think, but, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, the, the fake news is apparently anything that, that is inconvenient to those people who are powerful uh, that that might that might fly in the face of something that's not um, uh, that that's, that has the audacity to question to question it. But that's really the point of journalism. That's what we should be doing. We should be questioning powerful people. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's I think this is a moment where it's all changing quite a bit. Um, it's very it's getting very difficult to track disinformation sources, for instance, online. A lot of work I do is on online and social media and how information deception sort of happens. And, um, you know, it's getting very difficult to sort of check stuff. And, 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 and I mean, I think we all know we're, we're um, a very divided country and sometimes it comes down to different views of what the facts actually are. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's a, it's a very, very difficult time. But But, you know, I think reputable news sources, I think people who are serious about this, um, really, really take it serious and go and, uh, and um, uh, the level of fact checking is pretty, is pretty significant, at least from, from our point of view. So, um, so first of all, I want to thank you both um, for taking the time to talk to us, but, um, and also letting Child USA honor you because you really are uh, leaders in a universe where nobody wants to talk about physical abuse or yeah. um, the horrible things he went through. Um, so I, I'd really love to hear from each of you um, as we close, what, what do you hope is the legacy of Gabriel's story? Uh, you know, I mean, Jonathan, you were at the trial, you were conducting the trial and, and in the justice system uh, it's not every trial that you are involved in ends up being uh, a docu-series on Netflix. Um, wh what are your hopes for um, what this docu-series accomplishes? Well, I mean, first off, I could tell you that Gabriel and his life and his story changed me. Um, I, I do believe that it made me um, a better person um, a better dad and a better prosecutor. And I learned a lot going through, um, uh, uh, the case and, you know, the five years of having the case, uh, before it went to trial. Um, I hope, um, and I do believe what's happening is Gabriel's story is getting out to so many people, not only in the United States, but all over, um, the world. 
Uh, I get emails from everywhere, from Israel, from France, from Portugal, um, everywhere. Um, um, people um, talking about Gabriel's story uh, and, and from that talking about uh, children and, and the importance of children and, and, and how children are our future, uh, how children are important. Um, the harm that happens from not only physical abuse, but also uh, you know, emotional abuse mm-hmm. um, and sexual abuse, I mean, any type of abuse of a child, how it really affects a child. And I think that more people are talking about it. I think if you look back when domestic violence in the 60s and 70s, no one would talk about it. They really wouldn't. Um, and they finally, people started talking about it. And then you had the Me Too movement. And then people really started talking about it. And I hope that uh, what Brian and his team have done and, you know, what Brian continues to do uh, and what I, what I continue to do, um, we start talking about physical abuse of children, even though it is uncomfortable. Um, we start talking about how we as a community can help children. Uh, not only, I also want to say within the Department of Children and Family Services, there's many children who are lower socioeconomic class, many children of color, um, who, who it seems like people just don't care about. But all these children are important. Um, they all are equal um, in worth, and, and we all have an obligation to help all children. Um, and so hopefully what Brian's done um, also uncovers the fact that there's many children who are in the foster care system that, that, that people just don't talk about. They just don't care. Um, you know, another child, uh, another African-American child, another Latino child dies and people just don't care. And, and so I, 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 I want them to care. Um, and, and, and I think that the docu uh, series has really tried to help with that and to show that these are just little boys and little girls and, and they deserve to be protected and they deserve to be loved. Uh, and so I do believe Gabriel's legacy is love that we all need to love one another, um, especially in this type of environment where we have this pandemic, where we can't as humans interact with one another like we normally do, which is healthy. Um, I like people, I like them a lot. And, and so it's hard for me and I guarantee you it's hard for children. And so hopefully I believe Gabriel's legacy is love that we have to love one another, no matter our differences, no matter where we come from, no matter you know wh- where we are in, in the level, how much money we have, um, we have to love everybody. Um, that is the most important thing. We have to show empathy for one another, even if we disagree with each other. Um, you know, we have to set that example for our children. Um, um, but we have to really love our children, and I, and I hope um, Gabriel's story um, says that. Um, I know that the, the, the trial was serious and it was a death penalty case, um, but, but I believe that the story isn't about that. The, the, the story is about Gabriel and, and the fact that um, we do have to love one another. And, and I hope people see that. And um, I hope um, that from that, there could be change. Um, I, I really do. And, and I, I believe there is. I believe it's, it's slow but it is happening and shows like this and, and, and like child USA is willing to, to go out there and, and talk about it. I think it's really, really 
honorable and, and really, really important. And I appreciate uh, everything you're doing. I thank you. Uh, and I thank Brian too. Um, um, like Brian said, I didn't, I didn't have any real part in wow. making the documentary other than just being me, um, you know, just, um, you know, just fighting, you know, and it just, a lot of it was real emotional and I still get emotional about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was emotional. Um, trials are like a real life. And, um, I think people have to try to understand that. And so, yeah, I well, hope that. that's, I think that's one of the most beautiful statements I've ever heard from a prosecutor. Um, you know, I, we watch prosecutors on TV <laughs> in one series after another. And, you know, it's, it's courtroom hijinks. And then you go to a bar, apparently. I, I, I think that's the, the normal uh, modus operandi, they say. So thank you. That's beautiful. And, and Brian, you've made a lasting artistic contribution oh, to saving children. And I wonder what, what your hopes are. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, John, John's being humble. I don't think we could have done it without his openness and his willingness to tell the story and, and, uh, and being witness to the fight that he's been engaged in and is still engaged in. Um, you know, doc, being a documentary film, this was a two, two and a half year process. And, um, you know, being a documentary filmmaker, I think in the end, it's just you're just listening, really, to other people tell their story and trying to understand what they're saying and trying to understand a complex environment. Uh, like this and the Byzantine nature of LA County government and all of that. I mean, really what you're doing is you're just listening and you're, and you're trying to learn about it. And, and I think one of the things that really struck me in doing that, um, and I think both of you probably know this more than me, you've dedicated more of your life to this, but what struck me is um, it, we just don't, we just don't uh, privilege the rights of children. Um, we, we don't, I, it even seems weird saying that, but uh, but because uh, I didn't I didn't really understand that before I I did this documentary. We didn't we don't see children as having the same rights as adults, and I don't know why that I don't it doesn't make any sense to me. And children have ch children they have they they have a right to the same, a safe environment, a secure environment. They have a right to safety. Uh, they are, as John says so eloquently, uh, they are our future. Um, they are so, so, so critical. And so I don't understand why we sh shove this off as though they're not, they're not as important um, somehow. It, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And, and, and so that, that's, I know that's general, but it kind of came through a lot of times in the interviews that we were, that we were doing. Um, but the other, I mean, the other main thing is, and I probably, granted already about this with the, the transparency of institutions that are meant to protect us. I mean, these are, these are taxpayer funded institutions. I think we have a right to know what they're doing. They interact with our, with the public all the time. So we, um, they serve the public. Um, and so the transparency, even when things go wrong, I think transparency is, is the way to make them better. Um, this instinct towards secrecy, towards pulling back, uh, is really, really toxic. I mean, one, one very small example I'll give you is I, I did a, um, after this, I did a short film about the Boy Scouts, abuse in the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just coming out. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll post it when, I, when, 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 it, when it comes into light of day. But, um, you know, there's, there was, the, I mean, that's, we're talking about decades and decades of abuse that goes back all the way almost to the beginning of the Boy Scouts uh, organization itself. 
and time and time again when this organization that had uh, that stood stood up as a leader, a real moral leader, uh, when they had a choice to make, they made the wrong choice when it came to this stuff because it would make them look bad. And that just is, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people, um, thousands of families that were hurt, people suffering in silence. Um, it's, uh, and I think it's the courage of people coming forward, telling their stories as hard as that is, that brings this stuff out into the light of day that forces that kind of change in the end. I think it's people, you know, there's the old saying, courage is contagious. And once people kind of know, you know, I mean, it's, I get emotional about this too. It's like, if once people have the, the, the personal courage to, to come forward against all of these institutions and all of this, uh, this, these pressure against them, when they, when they're, when they're able to do that, other people see their stories and they, they feel um, like they're not alone. And uh, it's the first step. It's the first step towards making real uh, lasting change. Well, I, I just, I want to thank both of you. And this really is, I view this docu-series, uh, the trial of Gabriel Fernandez, first of all, as a must see for everybody. Um, but secondly, as it's further evidence, we're moving, you know, kids were property for centuries yeah. um, and they're, they're becoming persons. Uh, and it's the civil rights movement for children right right in front of our eyes, and this is a major part of it. So I have to thank you both from the, the bottom of my heart for what you've done um, and for um, being willing to, to spend some time today to talk to me. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for, thank for you. everything you're doing. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for joining us today, and um, don't forget, you just have a few days left to uh, make your donation so that you will be able to get access to our annual awards celebration. Uh, it will be a show this year, which means it will be both virtual and live. Uh, and we hope that you'll enjoy it. It will be inspiring. You can buy tickets at childusa.org slash annual event 2020. Hope to see you there. October 22nd, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m.